Hey, um, we are in a series, if you've been with us at all this summer, on the Beatitudes, which are a collection of sayings of Jesus that we've just camped out on one at a time, and we've made our way all the way out of eight of them to the fifth one, and, uh, and I think... I think next week we'll move on to the sixth one. The week after that, we might actually get to the seventh one. So, I mean, we are really cruising on this. But we are going to spend another week on Matthew 5, verse 7. And this is the verse that is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We don't even have it on the screen to read together, but you do have some handouts. If you want it, that might help you track along. It also gives you a good idea when I'll finally be done. So, um, <laughs> my best this morning. But the last two weeks, we've talked about mercy. We've talked about mercy. Jim started us off and gave us a great uh, message on mercy. Last week, uh, I talked more about it. And this week, uh, I was actually praying and I was like, okay, God, so where, where do you want this to go this week? I mean, I've got all kinds of notes and stuff that I've got written. And what I remembered as I was praying, I was actually drifting off to sleep. And what I had a sense of is I remembered that Jesus' audience that were hearing him preach this for the first time, so a group of, of, of Jewish folks that were well-schooled in what we call the Old Testament, that they knew the scriptures really well, and what likely snapped into their mind as soon as they heard this, blessed are the merciful, was the scripture, I believe, would have been real likely uh, from Micah, prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, and this, I believe, would have triggered in their mind when they heard, blessed are the merciful, and it reads this way, from Micah 6, 8, God has shown you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so I want to look at those three things today. God calls us just like he did his people in what we call the Old Testament. That call goes on to us through the scriptures. We are now the people of God. We are followers of Jesus. And, and God calls us also to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So um, let me pray and we'll launch into this. God, thank you that you are with us this morning. I pray that you would work through uh, the worship as you already have been through this message, that, that we would open our hearts to what you have for each of us, myself included, uh, and that we would be willing to listen, God, to your spirit. And I pray that your spirit would be what shows up because um, whether my words are brutal or or brilliance, um, it doesn't matter. None of it would matter if not for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to do justice, love mercy, to walk humbly, and we'll look first at the, the first one, to do justice. Now in the Bible, the word justice simply means to be made right. right? To make right, that's what justice is. And it's one of the main objectives of the kingdom of God, where God is working to make things right in our world. It, that's what the kingdom is doing as it advances, as God's way invades this earth. It is something that, that brings justice. It's making things right. But the problem is when you and I, as human beings, think of this whole concept of justice, it's really kind of a tricky one. It's a little dicey and tricky because our 
our sense of justice is highly subjective, isn't it? Right, our sense of justice, right? If something goes unfair that is in my favor, right, you will rarely hear me protest about it, <laughs> right? It's only when unfairness goes against us that we tend to be indignant and demand, you know, justice, right? Um, and it's like the story of the, the truck driver who was eating at a truck stop, and as he's eating in this truck stop off the interstate, these three tough biker dudes, they're all decked out in leather and chains, and they come into the truck stop diner, and they sit down um, over by him, actually standing right over him, and they say to him, hey, you need to move, old man. This is our booth. And the truck driver didn't look up, so one of the bikers reaches over and grabs his french fries and starts eating them. Another guy reaches over and grabs the, the trucker's uh, drink and starts sipping it. And another guy reaches over, grabs his hamburger, and starts eating it. The old man didn't say a word, the truck driver didn't say anything. But since they had taken all his food, he just stood up, he walked over to the cash register to, to pay the waitress for the food, and, and then he left the restaurant. Now, after the trucker had left, one of the bikers said, Sheesh. He wasn't much of a man, was he? And the waitress responded, well, I don't know about that, but he's definitely not much of a truck driver. He just backed over three motorcycles. <laughs> Wait for it. Some of you will get that on your way home. Stacy, will you explain that to Bruce on? Okay. You're good, yeah. So I like those stories. I think we kind of like some of those stories, right? Because there's this sense of justice, right? The truck driver took you know, justice into his hands and... I guess justice was served on the bad guys. Um, or was it? Who knows? Um, because our sense of justice, it's a little dicey when my personal feelings get involved in the mix. right? If that would have happened to me, then all my objectivity goes away when I've been wronged or I think I'm wronged. Again, our sense of justice is highly subjective, is it not? Um, our emotions tend to cloud the deal, and that's why justice, especially if it's you and me involved, it, it, it just kind of clouds the deal. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that when you and I get wronged, we can't speak up for ourselves. Not at all. Um, sometimes we need to speak up when we've been wronged. There's nothing spiritual about being a doormat. Let's just be honest enough to recognize that our sense of justice is highly, highly subjective which is why it's crucial to add this next part. So do justice, that's why I believe this second part is added to it, hand in hand, to do justice and love mercy. Because justice is highly subjective, we have to add this loving mercy part. Because now when we link these two up, doing justice and loving mercy, justice is no longer focused on stuff that's just about me, now justice is all through the Old Testament and New, by the way. Justice, when it's spoken of in the Bible, is about out there, people out there, things that are happening outside of me and my context, things that are outside of my own concerns. It's now justice and mercy for the sake of others. That's why when God tells us to do justice and love mercy, it's in the context of doing justice for other people um, because, uh, and, that, and that's like when we see something that's not right, right? That's where we do justice. We see something go, that's wrong, that's not okay. And out of hearts of mercy, 
we then do justice. And that's what God wants us to do. Like, God wants you and I to do justice and get energized, not by being offended by the things that happen to me and seeking out justice, um, but primarily what he wants is you and I to do justice and get energized when other people fall victim to injustice, and then we take action where we can. That's the kind of justice and mercy that the Bible talks about. See, God is a God of love and mercy, and he's a God of justice as well. All through the scriptures. And I think it's funny because um, sometimes the word social justice gets put together, and people that maybe don't like that or think it's uh, politicized or whatever they decided about it, um, but they're Christians, sometimes they go, social justice? Well, that's not biblical. Well, actually, if you read the Bible, it is. Because all over Scripture, there are stories of the heart of God and the justice of God. Over and over, God's heart for the oppressed and for the overlooked and for the hungry. God's heart for the poor, the foreigner. God's heart for the orphan and widow. And especially God's heart for those who are being economically taken advantage of. See, God's heart goes out to the oppressed, and just look a little bit in the Bible for this stuff, and you will see this. Um, one place that Jesus talks about it, among many, is in the parable of the sheep and the goats, and I'm not going to go into that, but again, it's just a simple one to go, who was the heart of Jesus calling us to connect with and care for? Oh, the people who are hungry, naked, poor, in prison, like the folks who we were supposed to bring justice and mercy to that we didn't because God's heart reaches towards injustice in people that are not being treated justly. That's why we said a couple weeks ago that poverty and hunger uh, are justice issues. They're not political issues. These are moral issues. And so when we're in the church and, and we see things in our culture that are happening, um, even though it gets polarized by politics, we've got to cut through all of that stuff and look at what scripture actually says and then uh, ask God to show us what he wants us to do about it so that we don't get polarized by the different sides that are screaming at each other. You and I can go, well, God, what is your heart for this issue? Where, where would you have me be involved? And, and there's all kinds of junk that swims in and out of it and is confusing but, but we don't have to sort it all out to have a heart for mercy and justice. But we do have to speak up for moral issues. I had, I had a guy that was really upset with us um, because we just simply said that racism is a sin. And he decided that was a political statement. And, and it, was, um, it was just kind of bizarre to read the trains of thought that came through. And actually, it was really sad for the guy because he had bought into some kind of narrative that, that really was devoid of scripture and he was so angry um, that I wasn't even like mad at him. I just was sad for him because he was missing out on God's invitation for us to love others, to, to do justice and love mercy. Because as the people of God, that's you and I, following Jesus and and doing life in the kingdom of God, which is his reality, um, we get energized. We are to get energized when people fall victim to injustice, and we are called to take action where we So I want to pause right here, middle of the message here, and I want to ask two things. 
and this is on your sheet if you have it there. I'm actually going to give it a, a minute of silence, and if you have a pen, this would be a great time to listen and respond to maybe what God is saying to you. But here's the question as we've gone through the, the do justice and, and love mercy. Um, where is God trying to get your attention to do justice and to love mercy? Where is God trying to get your attention as an individual to do justice and to love mercy? Because he's trying to get our attention with these things. doesn't mean we take on every cause. But where is he trying to get your attention? And by the way, it might be something that you're really uncomfortable with. That might be a clue that he wants to stretch and grow you. So I'm going to be quiet and just pray, God, will you speak to us um, where there is a cause of justice that one, each of us can lift up, where there's justice for the oppressed or the downtrodden or the overlooked, the exploited. God, where are you calling us to do justice? And God, where are you calling each of us to offer mercy to someone, to love mercy and give it away to somebody who doesn't, quote, deserve it? God, where are you calling us to give our attention to justice and mercy? And I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. I'm going to stop speaking to Jesus. you, if you didn't write it down now, before you get too much of the day away from you, if you sense something from God, or you just wanted to write down, huh, I need to pray about that, to spend some time today asking God again, where he's trying to get your attention to do justice and love mercy. So, here we go. We've covered now a little bit on do justice and love mercy, and I want to spend the rest of our time looking at this third one, because uh, for me, this is probably the hardest one of all, uh, to walk humbly before our God. Walk humbly with our God. To do justice, love mercy, and then walk humbly before our God. What's interesting about this is I heard one guy say, we actually need to start in reverse order. Because in order for us to do justice and love mercy, the first thing we've got to do is be a person that walks humbly with God. We have to operate from humility so these other ones can actually have a chance to get any air under their wings. So, I think that when the prophet Micah spoke these words from the Lord, I, I believe that the reason God included all three of those together it is because it is so important for us to walk humbly, especially when we are convinced about a justice and mercy issue that we are right. right? Think of a, a, a political or a legal or a issue facing our culture today. I know there's only a couple. <laughs> Think of a one or two, and, and, and when you and I, because I do this too, when you are sure that you are right, right, I am on the side of justice and mercy on this one, when I'm convinced that I'm right, and I don't know about you, but I'm guessing it's true, when I'm convinced that I'm right, it's really hard to be humble, isn't it? Anyone? Okay, there's a couple of us up here. Um, it makes me think, you know, when I'm right, it's really hard to be humble. It, it's this newly married couple that I heard the story about. They're from the Midwest. They're in the kitchen one night, and the husband asks the wife, Hey, hey, uh, honey, will you help me get the meal ready? And the wife says, Sure. What can I do to help? And she's, he says, um, Babe, how about you open those three cans of tomato sauce? And the wife says, Sure, no problem. 
and the wife then takes the cans, each one of them, turns them upside down, and proceeds to open them with the can opener from the bottom. Now, husband's looking at her going, okay, this is one of those weird things, okay, here we go. Uh, he goes, um, babe, what are, you, what are you doing that for? Why are you opening them from the bottom? And she says, well, that's the right way to do it. Everybody knows that. I'm guessing right now that some of you have these sorts of stories in your marriages. That's the right way to do it. Everybody knows that, right? And the husband says, eh, nope, I've never seen that before. So, you know, everybody doesn't do it that way. And so after, you know, so back and forth, finally the husband says, fine, 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 fine. Let's make a wager here. If you can prove to me that this is the right way, then you, babe, you'll get to pick every movie that we watch for the next month, every one of them. Um, so he's setting himself up for a chick flicks here, right? It's a, a big wager. Um, and he says, but, but if, but if uh, you can't prove it, then I get to pick the movies for the next month. Now the wife here, she was certain that her foolish husband was about to learn to love chick flicks and Downton Abbey. So she says, deal. And she says, and I know exactly who to call to settle this once and for all. We're going to call my mother. <laughs> By the way, probably not always the best person to sell your argument. Your mother, maybe. Mine would be awesome, right? No, my mom would take my wife's side, so forget that. Okay, um, um, so she calls her mom, and her, her, she says, Mom, why did you uh, always, why do we open it from the bottom? That's the right way to do it, right? And her mom says, oh, sweetheart, back when we had that old house and we used to bring up the cans from the cellar, the tops were always dusty. I couldn't be bothered to clean them, so I just turned them upside down and opened them from the bottom. And the new wife spent the next month learning how to fall asleep on the couch with the sounds of car chases and gunfire booming through their surround sound system as her husband made good on the bed. So. But it is hard when we are convinced that we are right. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to listen. It's hard to consider that I might be wrong about this, right? Um, think about this from the standpoint of the prophet, right? Micah was a prophet, and prophets were God's spokespeople to the entire nation. Now, can you imagine that it would be hard work to be a prophet speaking the words of God and to not get all self-righteous about it, right? Have you ever noticed that with prophets? Speaking the words of God, it's awfully hard work to walk humbly for a prophet. Um, maybe you've seen somebody in a church, not here, of course, but another church that you've been at who loves to go around kind of correcting people that that's, you know, their spiritual gift. Anybody know of someone like that kind of person that, that loves to do that? They love to pass judgment in this sort of spirit of arrogant superiority. Yeah. Sometimes it's the pastor. Just saying. Um, and some people, when they do this, they try to slap religious God language on it and cover up their arrogance and their lack of humility by saying, well, well I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy, right? Um, or they excuse being harsh or arrogant with, hey, well, that's just too bad that you can't handle the truth. It's always a fun one, right? You just can't handle the truth. Just kind of arrogant with however they present their truth. So I want to say this again, because that's why it's important to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly, especially if you've got some kind of insights or prophetic type of gifts or you're a teacher, and here, here's the statement. There's a very important theological distinction between being a prophet and being a jerk. <laughs> My rough personality. Um, and 
from being a jerk, okay? So um, here's how we can tell the difference between those two. What burns most deep, deeply in the heart of a actual prophet is not anger. It's not anger. It's love. And I'd say that's true for any one of us who are passionate because of the heart of Christ in us about things. What burns most deeply in the heart of a true, passionate follower of Jesus, especially when it comes to issues of justice and mercy, it's not anger. Even though we might get angry, but it's not anger that burns, it's, it's, it's love. C.S. Lewis wrote this, he said, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when it gets cut. Anger is the fluid that love bleeds when it gets cut. And God's anger is fierce. That's why he's a God of justice. It's fierce when he sees injustice and oppression because God's love is fiercer still. So when you and I, like, think about when you feel a, when, when you feel a righteous anger behind your cause or your issue or your political candidate, I want us, as followers of Jesus, to be asking ourselves, is there actual love that's driving my passion? Is it actual love that's driving my anger or my frustration or my statements? Is there any humility as I'm against that thing that it might be fine and well and important to be against, but is there is there any humility? I've had to be asking myself this a lot. Am I walking humbly even as I look at the different issues that are in front of us as a people and a nation and a culture? Am I walking humbly? I might be right. <laughs> I might be able to back it up with the Bible. But am I walking humbly with See, I think that any of us that are followers of Jesus, especially when we get passionate about stuff and we, we do justice and love and mercy, I think that we have to remember that no matter what we see out here as all the stuff that we're frustrated and ticked about, and again, it's fine and good to be frustrated and ticked about some of that stuff, but all that stuff out there that we're all mad and, and even righteously angry about, we have to remember that you and I are also some of the broken people who have caused the mess that we live in in our world. Like all of us are culpable. We're all a part of the broken human race. We can't point fingers and, and be judgmental and angry. We have to remember that none of us is perfect. We are all broken. We have to. We would do well to walk humbly because we all mess up. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. God reminds us in this scripture, walk humbly with your God. And I, you know, you look at that phrase, and I was like, okay, so what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean to walk humbly? What does that mean to walk humbly, especially when I'm right? Because it's hard to be humble when you're right, isn't it? And I think, yeah, it definitely, it's hard to be humble when I'm sure that I'm right. So imagine, you and I, it's hard to be humble, we're right, we don't want to give an inch on this issue. Now imagine God and his view of this stuff, right? God is always right. He sees every angle of all the stuff much more freely and deeply than you and I ever could, right? So he sees it all. So he's actually the one that's right. Oftentimes he's not telling, but he's the one that's right. 
He sees far more clearly than us. He sees all the messed up stuff. He sees all the wrong that we are involved in. He sees all the wrong things I believe that I think I'm right about. And how does he treat me? How does he treat you? Even when we're wrong, with mercy. He treats us with mercy even when we won't see these places that we're wrong about. Because of his unconditional love, God treats us with mercy. And he does that. He treats you and I with mercy. He doesn't cut off relationship between us. He treats us with mercy because he longs to be connected with us. It's about relationship for him. It's not about you and I believing all the right things all the time. He looks past all the places that we are wrong about this stuff. And he wants to be connected with us, which I think gives us a clue of what walking humbly with people right around us would look like. When we walk humbly, are we willing, even if we disagree, to be connected and love each other anyways? I mean, again, watch how God models this to you and I. Does God wait until you and I get all the answers right before he'll connect with us and love us? No. No, right? And friends, by the way, none of us have all the answers right. None of us knows perfectly. We think we do. We think that our theology and our belief system is airtight, but I have to tell you that all of us, including me, are going to be in for a huge surprise when we arrive in heaven to discover some of the things we were sure about that God goes, yeah, no, that wasn't actually even close. <laughs> you probably heard the story about the, the guy who arrives in heaven and gets a tour of heaven. Actually, I'm going to pick on Isaac. God, uh, we'll just imagine forward that Isaac arrives in heaven. What, what, what was your uh, denominational background growing up? Church of Christ. Okay. So, um, Isaac grew up in the Church of Christ, and we've talked about this. And they kind of had all the answers. It was very exact. Uh, and by the way, we could pick on any one of our backgrounds. Um, but we'll just pick on Isaac's here. Um, and so Isaac's getting this tour of heaven, and it's spectacular. It's amazing. He's seeing all this stuff. His mind is blown away. Uh, St. Peter's walking around. And suddenly, St. Peter says, be very quiet for the next few blocks. And as they walk... Isaac sees this big, giant, thick wall that's really high. And once he gets past it, Isaac says, wow, what was behind that wall? And and why did we have to walk so quietly and be so quiet? And then St. Peter says to him, oh, 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 that's where we keep the people from the Church of Christ. And they think that they're the only ones here. (laughs) So, friends, none of us. They, none of us have all the answers right, right? But isn't it amazing that God doesn't wait for you and I to have all the answers right before he loves us and accepts us? I mean, does God withhold connection from you and I when there are places in our life where we don't get aligned to his word? Does he withhold from us? No. No, see, I I have lots of beliefs that I look back on in my life that I used to be really sure about. I'm sure that this is what the Bible said about this. And then I later discovered that it wasn't really squaring up with the heart of God or the actual teachings or the whole counsel of Scripture. Because a disciple of Jesus is always learning, always growing. We never arrive. But if we don't align with God's Word in all the places we don't know yet or are wrong yet, God doesn't withhold connection from us. Um, does God punish us if we have areas of growth that haven't yet happened in our life? Anyone? No. No. 
No, he doesn't. We all have areas in need of transformation. None of us is perfect yet. So friends, God's posture towards us is one of unconditional love and connection. That's a part of what humility, walking humbly, looks like he models for us what we are to do for one another. Even when God doesn't agree with all of our choices and beliefs, he still aligns and loves us as we are. And as God models this humility for us, um, this walking humbly, Jesus is the one that came and demonstrated humility. He came so that we would be connected with the heart of God. Now, if we look at how God modeled that unconditional love and connection for us, um, how about us here at Hope? How about your own families? But what about us as a church family here? Lots of churches are having big problems right now because of election differences. I mean, holy smokes, you've got, you've got churches that, that people are ticked off about the COVID thing. There's a whole group that's going to leave if you have services. There's a whole group that's going to leave if you don't. Like, just let everybody pack in there with no masks. I mean, it's just crazy. It's really a no-win situation when I talk to all of my pastor friends. Just the, the kind of like heightened tension with folks. And again, I think the folks here, you guys at Hope, are so generous and patient, and I'm so grateful to be uh, pastoring this family. Um, but, but the rest of our culture is, is really, really struggling with trying to be connected when we don't agree on stuff. I mean, think about it here as a church, right? As a church family, we are the family of God. Um, and as we think about family, in a family, we are supposed to experience unconditional love, right? Uh, in a family, we are supposed to experience unconditional love, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, but think about this, like, families are made up of all sorts of goofy people, right? Think of the goofy <laughs> relatives that you have, like, but why do they get to come to the thing anyway? That's just their family. They might, and you might be glad you only see them once or twice a year, if that's. But it's family, right? The idea, ideally, we are supposed to have families that model for us unconditional love and connection, whether we agree or not, or how weird we are or not. Uh, and there's very, that's just the design. Some of us have that at some level. Some of us don't have that at all. But that's why the family of God comes together, because we get to model what a healthy family looks like. Whether you come from one or don't, you get to be a part of the family of God in your local church like the one we have here. So, in a healthy family, is the priority supposed to be agreement with each other, or is it connection and love? Is it agreement that we agree, or is it connection and love? In a healthy family, which one is it? Connection and love. Because if you're in a family or even a church that's just about, well, our, our priority is agreements, then you only get loved when you vote like me, when you think like me, when you believe like me, when you say it like me. That's how you get love. Uh, and it's not really love. It's just accepted because we're watching. We're watching. And unhealthy families create those kinds of systems where, where if there's no actual love going on, it's just about agreement. If you want to be accepted, then you have to agree and check the boxes. But 
in a, in a healthy family, if the priority is connection and love, then you get to actually experience unconditional love even when you disagree. Even when you disagree, because the priority is not agreement, it is connection and love. Um, what matters in a healthy family, whether it's a church or your actual family, what matters is who you are in this family. Who you are in this family. You are a brother, you are a sister, that's what matters. You belong. Agree or not, you belong. That's what a healthy family looks like. And by the way, you can apply this to your own family, and it'll tell you something about your own family dynamics that might be worth thinking about or processing. If your family only agrees, or only connects or talks to each other when you agree, you might want to make a shift. You might want to look at that and go, ooh, ooh. Whoops, I did that thing that our culture is doing. See, in our culture, you are only accepted when you agree. If you don't agree, then we're going to argue with you and demonize you and tell you what a terrible person you are and what an idiot you are, what a snowflake you are, down the list, because it's a culture of disrespect. And we replicate that in our church families. We replicate that in our home families. So if you recognize some of that in your family, in your home, go, ooh, ooh, I'm living out of the wrong system living out of the kingdom of this world. I want to live out of the kingdom of God where, where family and acceptance is because of who you are, not because we agree. The priority in a healthy family and a healthy church is connection and love. It's connection and love. It's not agreement. That's not the priority. I mean, it's nice to agree. It's nice to agree, but connection and love is the priority in healthy families. So at our church, we'll talk specifically for a moment, um, the reason we have to focus on connection and love over agreement is because if agreement was the important one, then you have these narrow legalistic churches that the only way you're accepted or can belong is if you check all the boxes and agree. Um, it's not about who you are in this family as a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, it's about you agreeing with us, and if you agree with us, then you can be a part of us, but if there's any part of us that you don't understand yet or disagree with or have a different point of view, then you got to go. And, and again, it's just not a healthy family, and I'm so grateful because uh, here at Hope Covenant, especially in the election season right here, we've got folks on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of this, and I'm actually really glad, I am so glad that we have both Republicans and Democrats and independents that are a part of our church, I'm really glad that we aren't all just, okay, we've got to agree on this or we got to leave. I'm so thankful because I think that reflects the body of Christ, and I think it reflects that we can love each other even when we disagree. That's what healthy families look like. Now, real quick, I don't have time to go deep into it, and we're about to wrap up here, but um, if you are a part of an actual unhealthy family, whether it's a, a church, that you're a part of other than here or your own family, um, you might have to have some healthy boundaries. So in an unhealthy family, you might have to go, hey, uh, listen, because I want to be connected to you and loving with you, um, we're just not going to talk about politics anymore if we can't remain respectful and honoring or humble, right? And again, that's a big shift from what we're seeing in our culture, because in our culture, it's like, ah, we're just going to throw stuff at each other, and, and everybody stinks. Um, and then we're just going to separate. Um, 
And so we see that in our culture, so we start seeing it in families. Holy smokes, again, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Just if you go, hey, we agree so disagree so strongly on some things. Let's just go, let's prioritize our connection and go, we really can't talk about this because we're not going to change our mind on it and we want to be respectful and it's not happening. So you might need some boundaries in that. Um, but um, here's the key, even in that, uh, in your own family or maybe some other relationships you have, if you want to move toward connection with someone that you disagree with and some areas and you know it tends to get real heated, you might want to think about what this looks like to walk humbly, which might mean you just got to let it go and stop trying to convince them or, or tell them, hey, you're not going to convince me, so I love you too much to just argue about this stuff. Let it go. That's what walking humbly can look like um, so that we can love and connect because that's the priority, right? Love and connect. So, man, will you guys come on up and we'll wrap up here. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And in the kingdom of God, the way of a follower of Jesus, you and I are called to the way of mercy. The way of mercy. God implores us to live this way, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. And so I'm going to ask you guys, to do with me what I've been doing all week and God's been doing in my heart all week with this stuff. Uh, earlier we paused to reflect on uh, do justice and love mercy, so let's just pause here as we get ready to sing. Um, what does it look like for us to walk humbly with God? What does that look like, to walk humbly with God? Is there a disconnect in your own family? Is there a disconnect with you and somebody here at church in this family? And in that disconnect is your goal, you have to ask yourself, is your goal connection and love, or is your goal agreement? They gotta agree with me. Is there a relationship that you are in? Maybe it's your own family or extended family or some friends that you've just gotten into disagreement with, maybe a neighbor. Is there a relationship where you're disconnected, you moved away from this goal of being connected with a family member, and the primary reason was because you didn't agree on something. And again, that's happening a lot with all the politics and COVID going on right now. And so if you're in that situation where there's some of that separation, if you are to walk humbly with God, what does humility look like? What does it look like to pursue connection instead of agreeing? Friends, some of us right now, you know, God's bringing to your mind right now the family member or the friend or the person that you have disconnected with. I just had one pop into my head. And today, friends, today we need to make it right. Today, as soon as you leave here, you need to make a phone call. I know right now who I need to make a phone call to uh, as soon as I can today. Will you and will I walk humbly with God and do what we need to do to move toward connection, which is our goal. It's what Jesus did. He humbled himself so that he would be connected with imperfect people like you and I. Friends, he did it for us, and he will help you as well. The power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, you and I can trust that he will give us exactly what we need now walk humbly. 
Holy Spirit now, will you come into this moment?